The way to fight fear is not just trying to make sure there's an absence of fear. It's to remember this, where you go, there I am with you. And as my family prepares to leave for Taiwan, please pray for us. Pray that we can be uh, what we desire to be, people of faith, people living out our faith. And the first time we left for Taiwan, it was fear of the unknown. And now the second time as we leave for another four years, it is more fear of the known. Uh, We have a tendency in our lives, meaning my life and um, your lives, to exchange one fear for another, going from fear to fear. Uh, But I think God calls us to more. He calls us to remember that we are with him. And so please pray for my family. Specific prayer request at this moment is our visa to enter Taiwan. We're still in that middle ground between when we submit the papers and when the glorious passports come back with the stamp that says you can come in. And praise God for the Taiwan government that they allow us to come in as missionaries with complete and open freedom. Uh, We've also leased our house out for the next four years. So that causes a little stress when you sign a paper to say somebody else will live in your house and you don't have a document to say you can go where you're going. But again, God is in control and he will remain in control. Today, I'm going to be preaching on sin. But it is not a sermon of discouragement. It's, an, it's a sermon of hope. It's a sermon of joy. And I think that there's a question that we all need to um, consider There's probably only a handful of big questions in life, right? This question is, what do I do with the sin in my life? And I think many of the time, we have a tendency to to hide it away, to compartmentalize, to cover it over. I heard of a, a camp in America a few years ago that took the song Amazing Grace, and many of you will know the lyrics, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But they took the lyrics and they changed it to say, a person like me. If it just says person, do we really need amazing grace? If you're going to change wretch to person, maybe it should just be like, okay, grace. So-so grace that saved a person like me who had a few challenges. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. God's word teaches that uh, not only are we all sinners, but we have a tendency to sin. We have a propensity to want sin in our lives. We have a tendency to want sin to keep us going. We substitute the true joy of a relationship with God with the momentary happiness that our sin can provide. So we need not only forgiveness, and of course we do need forgiveness, but we need a new heart, a changed heart that faces God and not our sin. Our sin should cause us to throw ourselves in the mercy of God, and that's what we see here in this this psalm. That's what I'd like us to consider today. Uh, Before we do, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, how it is open about our struggles. That we are people that sin. We are people that struggle with sin. We are people that hate and love our sin at the same time. Give us a passion for you that is greater than all of our sin. Redirect our hearts towards you so that we love you more than anything this world can offer. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for for your servant, David, who when confronted with his sin, turned back. We thank you for the hope that this offers us and the work of your son, Jesus Christ, that because of what he has done on our behalf, we can come before you asking for forgiveness and a changed heart. Pray for your blessing on our time in Jesus' name. Amen. In this psalm, we see David's heart of repentance. Uh, In Scripture, we are not told about David's sin merely for our entertainment. But I think we learn from looking at his sin and his confession to see how we can also be restored into a relationship with God. The Bible not only explains David's failure, but his confession after failure. He throws himself on the mercy of God. Have you ever thrown yourself on the mercy of God? Has your sin ever been so real to you that it's right in your face and everywhere you look, it's there with you? You're so tired of hiding it. And maybe this sermon is for you. We need forgiveness and we need to be changed. We need God to change us from the inside out so that we can love him more than we love our sin. So let's take a step back and not look just at this psalm, but look at the story behind the psalm. Uh, The background for this story is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So we have David walking around on top of his palace. Many of you are probably familiar with this, this story. He looks down and he sees Bathsheba. He's right away attracted to her, calls somebody to go and get her. She comes is brought to David, he has sexual relations with her, and then she becomes pregnant. Uh, Clearly, this was not part of the plan. This is not what David was hoping for, because right away, David goes into cover-up mode. He calls for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be brought back from the front where he is fighting. And then he tells him to go to be with his wife, but Uriah won't go to be with his wife. So he has, David has Uriah sit down and have a lot of drinks, thinking, surely drunk, Uriah will go back to be with Bathsheba. She, everybody will think the baby is Uriah's. Uriah, knowing that everybody else is out on the front, after he is drunk, sleeps with David's servants in front of the palace. Even drunk, Uriah has more moral fiber and character at this moment than King David. So what is David to do? He arranged for Uriah to be killed so that he could quickly marry Bathsheba and cover up his sin. David has a problem caused by his sin, but his response spirals out of control. He's filled with shame. Even though he's the king, he's filled with shame. And what does shame do? 
Shame seeks to cover up. Shame seeks to hide. While, while guilt is judicial, shame is relational. If people see this, then what will they think? Shame seeks to cover up what is tarnished by sin, but it doesn't heal. Think about your own life. Maybe there are things you're trying to hide. And when we feel shame, it's often because of fear and pride. Causes us to put up a block. What started out as lust in David's heart ended in adultery, deception, and ultimately murder as Uriah is sent to the front and is killed. And we see this interesting verse at the end of 1 Samuel uh, 11. It ends with what is probably one of the greatest, I think it's one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. But the thing that David did had displeased the Lord. Okay, adultery, lying, deception, cover-up, ultimately murder, and it displeased the Lord. And yet I think this should stand out. This displeased the Lord. So what does God do? Does he give up on King David? No. He sends Nathan. Prophet Nathan. I think Nathan is, is incredibly brave too. King David was willing to send Uriah to the front, in the, the front line so that he would be killed. Would it not be so easy if the prophet Nathan is confronting David to have him conveniently killed as well? We don't see what's going on behind the scenes in Scripture, but I would think, you know, Prophet David could slip on a banana peel or something. But here we go. Prophet Nathan goes in, and he talks to David. And I think there's something we can learn about the way that he does it as well. He doesn't go in there wagging his finger and saying, you filthy sinner, which would be true. But he goes and tells him a nice story. Draws David in. And then he says, you are the man. David's realization of his sin hits him. Just a side note here. Our world needs more Nathans. We need godly men and women of courage who will not attack, but will, in a graceful way, go to their brother and sister in Christ and lovingly confront them. Uh, my wife and I named our son Nathan after the prophet Nathan, and Lord willing, we're raising him in that manner as well. David does not lash out at Nathan. David is convicted. When Nathan exposes David's sin to him, he is emotionally crushed. And here we have in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. So fast. Doesn't there seem like there should be more there? And, um, and then David did this. And then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. And then the Lord took his sin away. Grace is given. While shame seeks to hide sin, shame seeks to hide sin to preserve relationship, grace is given so that relationship can be restored. Grace puts a spotlight on the sin and says, 
I recognize it, I acknowledge it, I forgive it, and relationship is restored. This is what our God does. This is who our God is. Our God is a merciful, grace-giving God. And if you remember anything about this sermon, maybe that's the starting point. That's the, that's the place. That, it's because of that that we can go, go before God and say, I have sinned. Because this is the God that we know and we serve. And this is the background to this psalm. In this psalm, we have a heart that is crushed by sin, but a holy God who gives forgiveness and restores a relationship to the sinner. The good news of this psalm is the good news of the Bible. Broken sinners can be forgiven and have their hearts changed. God's kids who have strayed can return home. David's two main requests in this psalm are forgive me and change my heart. So let's look at the first one. Forgive me. You can look in your Bibles or either in your bulletin. David's first plea, Psalm 51, God forgives his sin. The only reason we dare to come to God for a solution to our sin problem is God's mercy. Look at Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David recognizes that his hope is grounded in the character of God. David's request for mercy is according to God's unfailing love and his great compassion. If it was me, I might do something like, God, I come before you, I realize I sin, but do you remember what I did with that giant? Do you remember how I took down Goliath? Maybe we can work out something here. David realizes his place to come before God when he has sinned is not that he has done anything right in the past. It is that God is a merciful and forgiving God. He was fully aware at this point of the repulsiveness of his sin when he wrote Psalm 51. He knows that he needs his guilt removed because he takes ownership over his sin. Let's look at verses 3. Through five. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and just when you judge. This is kind of like what I talked about before. It's like his sin is right here. Everywhere he looks, there's no, there's no compartmentalization. You know, yesterday... Uh, I was up in our attic. We're putting in a place that we can store things above our garage. And I remember thinking, oh, this is just such a, such a good place to store things. And nobody sees it. Tucked away above the garage. Little hole. You put all your boxes up there. And then you're good to move to the other side of the planet. And this is how we do with our sin, Right? Instead of bringing it, putting a spotlight on it and saying, okay, this is what my issue is, instead of building accountability with our Christian brothers and sisters, we put it above our garage and hide it away so nobody can see it. 
Nathan conf- the prophet Nathan confronts David's compartmentalization and says, no, this is what's happened. A spotlight is put on it. Our tendency is, is to not take responsibility for our own sin. Let me challenge you today to come to grips with your own sinfulness, to recognize that you have sinned before a holy God, but not to stop there, to throw yourself on the mercy of a loving and caring God. Our problem is that we, is not most of the time that we don't hate sin, it's that we still like it when we hate it. Our challenge is that we have to love God more than everything else. How do we do that? Spend time with him. Remind yourself of who he is. Know who he is. Spend time in his words. Spend time in prayer. We can appreciate the need for divine mercy when we recognize the depth of our sin. This is why David had no hope but to plea for God's mercy. Look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. What does this word hyssop mean? Hyssop was a plant. And it was used by the Israelites a couple different ways. It was dipped in blood and put over for Passover. The blood was put over the doorframe. Also, it was used in sacrifices by the priests. They would dip the hyssop plant and put it above the people. When David says this, he is understanding that to be cleaned with hyssop is to be cleansed by the blood. The blood of an animal sacrifice pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice being our Savior, Jesus Christ. David was guilty before God. His need needed to be paid for. And it was by Jesus Christ, his coming Messiah, for us, the Messiah that has come and who has completed the work for us, for salvation, is only because of what Jesus Christ has done that we can come to God and ask for mercy. This is why David could tell, or Nathan could tell David that his sin was forgiven. This is why I can tell you that your sin is forgiven. This is why you can tell yourself, my sin is forgiven. This is why you should tell yourself, my sin is forgiven. Psalm 51, 1 through 9, we see David's first request, forgive my sins. But he's not finished. David's next request is is as important as his first. Look at Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David realized that his sin had a source. His sin flows from a heart. The source of the sin is his heart. little story. Uh, Before my family moved up to the greater Portland area, we lived in the Bay Area. Well, Faith and I, it was before we had kids. And we went through a time where we were killing moths. At first, it started, we'd kill one moth at a time. A little bit here, a little bit there. Over time, I found every night we'd be asking each other, 
how many moths did you kill today? And it'd be like seven, eight, but before then it's like 10, 12. And we were just, we couldn't stop the moths. Till one day, I came home and Faith had found the source of the moths. She wasn't happy with me. She said, it's out on the patio. I didn't even know what it was. Turns out, our friends who had um, done some missions work in Ethiopia had given us a rug. To which I, I was very happy about the rug, but I had just kind of rolled it up and it was sitting beside my side of the bed. Which at times can be a scary place to go. Faith ventured over to my side of the bed, opened it up, and inside this Ethiopian rug were the Ethiopian moths, Ethiopian maggots, and every form of um, life stage of moth from the smallest egg up to the moths that were flying around. Pretty gross story, but I hope it helps you to remember you need to kill the source. We got rid of that blanket. Still haven't told our friends yet. We got rid of that blanket, and we still had a few moths around. But over time, and it didn't take too long, the moths started to disappear. You need to kill the source. If you just say, Father, forgive me, but have no care to have your heart changed, we have a problem. We need to kill the source. While David needs to be forgiven, he needs to be restored. And he needs his passion for God to be greater than any other passion for sin. So let me ask you this question. What is your greatest passion? A good way to find this out is, um, how do you like spending your time, your money, your thoughts, Now, I I don't believe everything has to be super spiritualized. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if people were to look at your life, there should be some, some sense of, yes, that person loves Jesus. So what is your passion? Is your prayer that God creates inside of you affections that surpass everything else? If we seek forgiveness but not a changed heart, we desire to feel better but not to be changed. And so here I'm going to give you an example that I call bicycle theology. This morning I mentioned this to my sister-in-law. She says, oh, is that to do with the Mormons? (laughs) It's not. This is bicycle theology. Suppose I have a friend who gets a new bicycle. And I really enjoy their bike. And I'm watching them ride their bike. And I think, I want that bike. But instead of going out and buying my own bike, I take their bike. And I go bike on the other side of town, and I'm having a good time biking with their bike. But in my heart, I realize something's wrong. I feel terrible. I've stolen my friend's bike. So what do I do? I go back to my friend, and I tell them, I'm so sorry. I took your bike. And then I walk away. And my friend calls out and says, Hey, Brian, where's my bike? And I turn back and I said, Well, thanks for the forgiveness, but I love the bike. 
I'm keeping the bike. That's bicycle theology. And it's how we approach sin too often in our life. God, forgive me, but allow me to have the sin that helps me cope with today. No. God, forgive me and change my heart. David goes on to say that his response to God's work in his life will be to witness God's forgiveness, witness of God's forgiveness, and to worship him. You see, a changed heart, a heart that's been recreated, can't help but sing God's praises, can't help but share the good news. A forgiven sinner wants other people to know of this forgiveness. A forgiven sinner with a changed heart cannot help but want to speak about God's forgiveness. And I think that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that should be flowing out of you. Sometimes I've realized that Christians, we can become very good at debating and arguing theology with other Christians, and it's good for us to be students of of our faith. But you put us in front of a non-believer. Before we went overseas, I taught Bible in a Christian school. We had three Vietnamese exchange students who um, were self-professing atheists. And another student said to them, what class do you love? And they said, we love Bible class. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Jansen's great. And they said, no, it's it's true, but no. (laughs) They said, the Christian God is amazing. Sometimes I think we hold back. We don't want to offend. Share your story. Share your life. Open your home. Let it overflow from you. Don't beat, beat people down. Lift them up to the Lord. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for people that God brings into your life. Care for people. Take time for people. Let the fact that you have been forgiven and your heart has been changed overflow. David longs to speak about God to others and to declare his praise to God. Belief in the true God is not only a personal thing. It's in community, and then it flows out. David realized that God desires for a heart that is broken before him. God desires broken people to come before him. Do you recognize your own brokenness? Towards the end of this psalm, we see um, verse 19. Then I will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. But if you look back in verse 16, it says, You did not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You did not take pleasure in burnt offerings. What happens between verse 19 and verse 16 is interesting because it's verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. When we're broken by our sin, we recognize our need for a merciful God. Christians aren't perfect people. We don't have to present ourselves as perfect people. We're people that know a perfect God, 
It's full of mercy. Let me close with a story. Years ago, there's an interview with Christian musician Stephen Kirsch Chapman. In this interview, he spoke about the terrible day when his five-year-old daughter died. In a terrible accident, his teenage son was driving and struck his five-year-old daughter. He talks about how he put his daughter into the car, but he says, I realized I had my daughter to care for, but I also had my son to care for. He rolls his window down, and he screams out to his son, Your father loves you, Will Franklin. As they drove off to the hospital. Now, what his son did in this involvement has nothing to do with sin, but everything to do with brokenness. And it's when we're most broken that we're so so prone not to see that we serve a merciful God. But it's when we're so broken that we need to hear God the Father say, your father loves you. If your sin has broken you today, and I hope in some way it has, if your sin has broken you today, hear the words of God that say, I love you. Bring your sin before God. As I said at the beginning, this is not not a sermon of discouragement, even though it's a sermon on sin. It's a sermon on hope, on life, on relationship with a God that forgives, a God that is merciful to all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that no matter what we have done, you are for us and you are with us. Thank you that you allow us to take our sin and put it in the open. To not feel shame, but to feel gratitude for being forgiven. I pray for all of us that you teach us to do that well. Let us spend time in your word and in prayer so that we know who you are and we feel so incredibly grateful for your love. We pray for your blessing on us and I pray for your blessing on this church. In Jesus' name, amen.